Let us listen once more for God's word, hearing first from the first verse of chapter 29 of Jeremiah and then picking up in the fourth through seventh. It begins, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The text of the letter reads, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, Finding Home in Exile. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray once more for your spirit to dwell in our midst. That these old words might indeed speak fresh meaning into our lives, into this world, living of these days. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight might be glorifying to you. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I told the children, this is a story about exile. The Israelites at this point in Jeremiah, have been carted off from their homes in Jerusalem. They have been taken to this far-off and distant land called Babylon. And they're writing to Jeremiah back in Jerusalem, essentially asking him, what are we to do? I think there's a risk for us reading this story today. And the risk is that it seems easy for all of us to remove ourselves from this story. In this age when there are millions of refugees who can no doubt relate to the experiences of the Israelites in this story around our world, most of us, if not all of us, are not one of them. I think oftentimes when we hear that word exile, we tend to think, of those stories in our history books, like Napoleon, right, sent off to Elba, a literal exile on a literal island. And that's not us. Here we are today on an island, yes, but we have the benefit of a causeway to come and go. But I think if we sit with it a little longer, if we let this story and this letter from Jeremiah seep into our hearts, we too might recognize that all of us have
have experienced exile. All of us perhaps are experiencing exile in some way or another. Maybe you have been exiled from your home. The call came and the job opened up and you went. Man, you love that home. Maybe you've been exiled from your home because you could no longer afford it and you were left with no choice. Maybe you were exiled from your home after the kids knocked on the door and they said, Mom and Dad, you can't live here by yourselves anymore. Some of us, I know, have been exiled from our homes because of disaster, fire, flood, trees coming down. I think we've all experienced exile. Maybe you have experienced what it's like to be exiled from another person. Through distance after that move, Time and distance took their effect. Maybe you've been exiled through separation or divorce or death. We've all experienced exile. Maybe you know what it feels like to be exiled from a sense of purpose and and self-worth. That disability, it just came. That dependency that rose up from inside you that you didn't ask for or want, it took root. Maybe you have felt what it feels like to be exiled from self-worth after that failure came that you could see no way of possibly overcoming. I think all of us have been exiled in some way or another from our bodies at some point in time. We've had that birthday where suddenly every day after we look at ourselves in the mirror and we wonder, that was not there before. (laughs) Every time someone shows a picture of me from behind, I am utterly shocked to see a bald spot back here. (laughs) I think we've all experienced exile. For all of us this day, we are experiencing exile in some form from a sanctuary we have known and loved and that has served us well for many years. If you've ever been exiled, felt what it feels like to feel forgotten or hurt or alone or out of place, then I think Jeremiah's letter, it is for you as well. And yet at the same time, I suspect that Jeremiah's response, Jeremiah's words in this letter are just as surprising for us as they were for those Israelites in Babylon so long ago because his response is not the one they expect. He does not tell them to run as fast as you can. He does not tell them to resist or to circle the wagons, to build the wall, to isolate yourselves from any of those foreign influences. No. Jeremiah responds by essentially telling them to get comfortable, to settle in, because rescue isn't coming anytime soon. Plant your gardens, he tells them. Build your homes. Meet your neighbors, maybe even marry your neighbors. Have some kids with your neighbors. Settle in. Get comfortable. You know, it's not the word that they want. I don't think it's the word many of us want either. But it's the word they hear. Ultimately, both they and we 
today will find that it is a word of good news. There's a book that's been on my shelf for three years now. I'm slowly working my way through it. It's called The Book of Joy. It's a really unique book. It's written by a third party, but the third party was present for these conversations that happened over the course of five days between two Nobel Peace Prize winners, the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. They just got them together and asked them to talk about joy and about life. One of the early chapters in this book is called Nothing Beautiful Comes Without Some Suffering. Nothing beautiful comes without some suffering. In this chapter, Desmond Tutu, who was one of the leaders during the height of apartheid South Africa, seeking to bring peace and a deconstruction of those racist policies, policies rather, he tells a story about his co-worker in that work, Nelson Mandela. And he talks about how Nelson Mandela, when he was a young man, he was sent to jail. You could say, Tutu says, that Mandela at that point in his life was bloodthirsty. He was the head of the armed wing of the African National Congress, which was his party. And after being arrested, he spent 27 years in jail. He was a literal exile, Mandela. He was on Robben Island right there off the southern tip of South Africa. And many would say, Tutu remarks, that 27 years in jail, what a waste. But Tutu, in this story, he talks about how, in fact, those 27 years were necessary. Those 27 years in exile yielded something in his friend Nelson Mandela that was beautiful. Those were the years that were necessary to remove the dross from his bloodthirsty friend. Those were the years that were full of suffering and prison, and yet it was through that suffering that helped Mandela become more magnanimous, more willing to listen to the other side. It was those 20 years that helped Mandela to discover that the people he regarded as his enemy were human beings too, who had fears and expectations of their own. Human beings who had been molded by the society around them. Tutu concludes by saying, and so without the 27 years, I don't think we would have seen the Nelson Mandela we saw, the one who became the first president in a post-apartheid South Africa. Nelson Mandela, who was full of compassion and magnanimity and the capacity to put himself into others' shoes. Nothing beautiful comes without some suffering. You know, the reality for these exiles, if you go study the history of ancient Israel, is that these are people who have experienced the depths of human suffering. When Nebuchadnezzar showed up on their doorstep, he didn't politely knock on their doors and ask them to follow him. It was a forcible takeover. They were literally ripped from their homes and from their city. And yet, according to Jeremiah, 
even in the suffering that they were living through and with, there might yet be a blessing. That even in those circumstances of exile, God might yet still be doing a powerful and beautiful thing. And we have the benefit of looking back and knowing that God, in fact, did do something powerful and beautiful in the history of exile and the Israelite people. That it is that period of time when they are living in Babylon that some of the most formative moments in the history of the Jewish faith come to pass. It's during that time of exile that Judaism, in in the sense that many of us know and think about it, it's during that time that it is formed. It's during that time that the Hebrew Bible, that we know it as when we open our Old Testament, this is the period of time when it comes together. The prophets and the, the poetry of the Psalms and the wisdom of Proverbs, it all comes together in this time of exile. It's during this time when this thing called a synagogue first shows up on the record of human history. It's this time when the Jewish people discover the temple is not the only place where they can worship God. And so they form these communities in exile and they come together in these places called synagogues. And there they find the vital heartbeat of their community, even in exile. Now, Some of us might, I think, say, you know, that's great. Sounds good. I'm not Nelson Mandela, and frankly, my exile, it's not too much fun. Frankly, I wouldn't mind having the comfort of my friend or my child or my my spouse back. I wouldn't mind having the familiarity of that home that I love back. I wouldn't mind having the security of a job back. I wouldn't mind having more comfortable seats than black plastic chairs back, although it's arguable these are more comfortable than the pews we left behind. I wouldn't mind having my body back, having my life back. Jeremiah, he gets that. God gets that. And yet the question that still hangs there we were to settle in, if we were to resist that impulse to run, to resign ourselves to some fate, to isolate ourselves from anyone and anything that comes before us in our new circumstances, if we were to settle in, what dross might fall away from our own lives? What people who we have thought of to this point as being our enemy, what people might we recognize suddenly as the human beings they are? What new relationships might form in that exile? What moments of human compassion that otherwise we may never have experienced might we experience? What worship might happen in exile? What beauty This past week, you all might 
know was Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. It is the Jewish New Year. Our friends at the Temple Beth Tefillah in Brunswick, my friend Rabbi Rachel Bregman, she invited me to come over to the Temple on Wednesday afternoon. For her, I realized this year Yom Kippur is kind of like Easter on steroids because she is doing prayer services literally from sun up to sun down. And so she needed a break. And she devised a way to give herself a break, and that was by calling one of her friends to come over and to participate on a, a panel of people who had recently traveled to Israel and Jordan, members of her congregation, members of our congregation at Christ Church, traveled there together this past summer, and we were just going to share about that experience, and we did, but there was another woman who came, a woman who's a member of Rachel's synagogue, the temple there in Brunswick, an older woman, Jewish woman. She, too, went to Israel this past summer for the very first time in her life, not with our group, but on her own about a month before we were there. And she sat there with us in front of the congregation on Wednesday, and she began to tell us about her life story. She was born in South America, an immigrant from Europe following World War II. Her mother was the only survivor of seven siblings in the Holocaust. And her mom never spoke of it to the day she died. She never spoke of her family. She never spoke of her experiences. This woman on Wednesday was raised in this family that wasn't particularly religious. Later in life, she explained she met a more religious man, and they became involved in the synagogues and the communities that they lived and worked. But still, she never quite found that sense of family and of community. You almost sensed as she talked and shared her story that here before you was someone who was in a very real way in exile someone who had never quite found home until this summer. She said as they flew into Tel Aviv, it was nighttime and dark, and she couldn't see anything outside her windows except the mile markers going by on the highway. And yet she said on that drive from the airport to her hotel, she wept the whole way. So overwhelmed was she by the feeling that she was finally home. God is with us in our exile. That is the promise of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah knows that that might not be the promise we want thanks be to God that it is the promise we get. Because it is that promise, it's that promise, which assures all of us that even in the darkest nights that this life can bring, the day will come when we too will be overwhelmed with surprise as we discover that 
home is no longer the place we left it behind, but rather the place Son and of the Holy Spirit.